This is Abby, and you are listening to Upzoned. everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Upzone, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby, an urban planner at Multi-Studio in Kansas City, and we have been on a little bit of a hiatus for the past couple of months, but I can assure you that Upzone will be returning in 2024 with weekly episodes, and this is the last episode of 2023, and it is a special interview because I'm joined by a guest whose work that I've been following for a couple of years now, and I have been very much looking forward to talking to for quite some time. So we have Ryan Johnson. He's the builder and resident of the first car-free neighborhood built from scratch in the U.S. called Cul-de-Sac, located in Tempe, Arizona. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So I have to ask, I read that you are a resident of Cul-de-Sac. Is this a a Cul-de-Sac apartment that you're in right now? It is. That's very exciting. <laughs> well, I won't ask you to give us a tour because I don't know that we're publishing the the video, but people can look online and I'm sure see all the, the apartments that, that uh, Cul-de-Sac has to offer. So today we are referencing an article that was published in The Guardian by Oliver Millman entitled, People Are Happier in a Walkable Neighborhood, the U.S. Community That Banned Cars. So I'll give kind of an overview that the, that the Guardian provides. Cul-de-sac is, it's now officially open after three years of planning, designing, and building. It's the first car-free residential project located outside of Phoenix, Arizona in the city of Tempe. It's the first, zero, first ever zero parking agreement between a developer and the city of Tempe. And that means that literally there are no cars or carways in the project. Buildings are arranged around an intricate network of pedestrian-oriented spaces with lots of shade and artwork and landscaping. And instead of relying on parking spaces for each resident in the community, there are lots of other options that are provided. Residents can access electric cars and bikes, as well as uh, have access to light rail, which is included in the cost of rent. So it's quite an incentive and a wide variety of mobility options that are provided. I think just to start this conversation, I'd like to start from the beginning, Ryan, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in this concept of building a car-free community. Yeah. So I grew up in Phoenix, in the Burbs. I had an SUV uh, in high school and uh, that was life to me. And in college, I was deciding between MIT, where it would have been $150,000 of debt, uh, or a full scholarship to the University of Arizona, where it was a free ride plus 50000 on top. And I chose the latter. And a couple things happened from that scholarship. The first is that I used the money to get into real estate and bought a rental near campus and built up a portfolio of 60 bedrooms, learning how to buy, renovate, property manage, etc. And the second thing that happened from that was it sent us abroad. And the first place that I went was Budapest. And then I saw also cities like Tokyo and Amsterdam. And I said, wow, the sprawl of Phoenix is not the only way to make a city. And there's lots of great 
better ways. You could have great transportation and density and great architecture, and that could have a better sense of community and the residents were happier. And that launched a passion for cities. And after college, I spent a decade working in transportation with trains and helicopters and buses. And then uh, I'd done the real estate with a friend and he, he was starting a company called Open Door, where I joined as part of the founding team. And at Open Door, and I think Open Door has the best data in real estate, we saw enormous demand for walkable neighborhoods. The majority of the US wants to live in a walkable neighborhood, but less than 10% does because we stopped building them. And then parts that are walkable, uh, they're, they're doing really well. And what we saw was concurrent to this was there was innovation in transportation with things like electric bikes and ride hail and with, a, with AV ride hail coming down the pipeline and said, we can build walkable neighborhoods again. And that was the genesis for cul-de-sac. That's really exciting. So the, I wanted to ask a little bit about the context that it's in because I've been to Phoenix several times and it's definitely a huge sprawling metroplex, but it also has some really cool neighborhoods that, that are walkable, uh, kind of in pockets, it seems. And the Southwest in particular doesn't really have a reputation for being very walkable generally. What drew you to, to this region? Is it because uh, you're from here and, and you wanted to bring this offering to a place where you were familiar already? When you're building a neighborhood of this size, the market needs to be able to absorb the supply. And so you want to go to a place that has job growth. And you also want to go to a place uh, that welcomes growth. And we were based in San Francisco before and we wouldn't be open today if we had built something there. Uh, and we worked with the city of Tempe, and they were fantastic to work with and, and, and welcomed cul-de-sac. Um, and also we found this piece of land. It's 17 acres. And it's right on a light rail. And it's a couple miles from Arizona State University. It's two and a half miles from downtown Tempe, which is a great job center. And we knew we could build something fantastic there. So the, the users of this community, the people who were kind of targeted as potential residents, is, is there a prototypical resident that, that you and your team were looking at as you were raising money and planning for this project as a prototypical tenant, essentially? No, cul-de-sacs for everyone. And the demand that we saw uh, was that it's the majority of the U.S. And uh, now, now there's a recent survey that was done by the National Association of Realtors, and they found that every generation would pay more to live in a walkable neighborhood. And so the data is really just across the board. That's been the thing that I think in, in urban planning, uh, people are becoming more aware that, that walkable places are not just for college students. It's really for everyone. And I think ARP has become a, a huge advocate for even seniors being located in walkable neighborhoods and within ADUs. So I'm glad to hear that. Do you have any surprises with the residents who have moved into uh, the development project so far based on this first phase that's now open? So there's now a vibrant, thriving community, um, and it's growing quickly. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we had 16 units open a couple months ago. Now there's over four times that many, uh, and then it's going to double again in the next few months. And so the community is now a group of people that are forming friendships, and they're running into each other spontaneously. They're throwing events. They're having nicknames, uh, and it's been great to see. 
So Ryan, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to be a resident in cul-de-sac? What does the typical daily daily life look like for you? I love living here. This is the kind of place that I like living and also knowing how much work was into it. It also helps me stay more connected to what's going on and I can follow the construction and I can see how the neighborhood's evolving and watch the community forming and uh, the people that took the plunge to be one of our founding residents. And it's exciting to see. Yeah, that's very exciting. My understanding is that it's not just all residential units. There's also destinations that are built within the project. Yeah. So we have great amenities here. We have a restaurant run by an award-winning husband and wife couple. We have a small format grocery store. We have a gym and we have a co-working space opening. There's a bike store open. There's a coffee shop and wine bar that's opening. Uh, And then we have 15 micro retailer spaces. And uh, we actually just expanded that uh, because of how well those are doing. And we have things like a vintage clothing shop and an esthetician and a tea shop and other things where they're small spaces and those are run by uh, some of the residents even. Oh, really? So there's residents that are opening businesses and and also uh, residing in the community. Yeah. And we also have employees of the retailers that are residents. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what you'd want in terms of a, a walkable community for people to be able to to live, work, and and play all in one place. So I want to talk a little bit about the design of the project. I know that you guys worked with a team of designers, and I myself am an, am an urban designer, and I, I think something that is unique to this project, and it may be the consequence of the climate that it's located in, is kind of the overall design and aesthetic of buildings themselves. There's a lot of what you might call new urbanist development projects or traditional neighborhood development projects that I think really focus on like traditional architectural styles with very intricate details. And in this project, the buildings are, I wouldn't say that they're modern, but they're designed in a way that is, it's quite simple architecturally. And the design attention is paid more to the arrangement of the buildings themselves and the design of the public realm and the spaces that are between the buildings. And to me, that is a brilliant approach because it demonstrates how important those shared spaces are, um, even more so than you know little details and, and the architectural aesthetic of buildings themselves. Was this an intentional approach or a conversation that the, the design team had to really emphasize the, the public realm itself? It was intentional, and we call it life at your front door. And the design that made the most sense, of course, needs to respond to the local area. And so this has narrow corridors that create lots of shade. There's not a drop of asphalt, which is something that's enabled by not having residential parking. And the buildings are white, which reflects heat. And so our project feels 15 degrees cooler than the asphalt-filled projects around us. And we get 55% landscape space. Yeah, it almost reminds me of Greece. Was that something you were going for? I wouldn't say we were going for it. I think that some of the reasons, for example, the the white of a place like Mykonos um, also works. There's lots of plants that work well in the Sonoran Desert as well that uh, you wouldn't expect it to to be the climate of of, Greece to, um, to work well. But it just happens to it just happens to be a good coincidence. 
So the article says that you now have your first 36 residents. Is that is that the number that we're at today? No, it's significantly higher. We're approaching 70. Wow, that's very exciting. Well done. Um, and you're eventually going to have about 1,000 residents in this project when it's built out. Yeah, and we'll have a couple hundred by next summer. Very good. We have more, more every week. That's great. So, so what are the kind of what's the overall plan for the construction? Do you have a sense for when everything will be complete? So we have a second phase that's under construct that broke ground recently um, up the, the vertical part. Um, so there's already five new buildings of that on the way to 25, and then we've got more phases after that. Uh, it'll be a few years for all of it, but already we have a thriving community, and we've catalyzed the area around us uh, where there's new projects surrounding us that are creating a new a new neighborhood and it's exciting to see yeah so so are there ways for the surrounding area to become more walkable kind of off of the catalyst that you're building on your site yeah that we're, we're now listed as an amenity for some of these things and as a destination for public space and for the retail and that that encourages other places around us to um uh to be more walkable and that's that's exciting, and and also one thing on the prior question was that we get a lot of feedback from residents. We don't pretend to know exactly what the exact way to build the neighborhood is, and so we we're observing this emergent community, and that can be used to influence future phases. Interesting. So, what are some of the things that that you've learned now that this first phase is is built and leasing? The that that the amenities in the open space are very popular. Uh, that's a big one. And that uh, electric bikes, especially all of our residents get a free bike from electric, are, are very popular. We've also been working with the city to build better bike infrastructure uh, nearby, and that's helping it become more connected. I think the grocery store in particular, and retail in general has been an upside surprise, but, you know, we brought the first grocery store within a mile and a half, and that's been, that's been very popular. So are people riding these e-bikes throughout like the internal network of, of the development project? Yeah. And more, more importantly to areas nearby and the difference between, uh, and, and electric bikes are the second most popular transportation mode for our residents after the light rail. Okay. So in terms of expansion, there's been a lot of speculation about this being a model for other parts of the country, people who are building walkable communities. Uh, You guys have obviously not just built a walkable community, but you've taken that next step to not build any car infrastructure. Is this something that your team is thinking about for other markets? Do you think that there's possibility to build these kinds of communities in in places, uh, other metropolitan areas that have growth? Yes. Tempe has become the reference project for how to build walkable neighborhoods successfully in the U.S. in the 2020s. And how you would do it in different cities and in different spots would uh, would change based on the specifics of that. But there's demand all over. And when we started five years ago, people said, you know, what are you thinking? There's not going to be the demand. You're not going to be able to get permission. And now that both of those have gone well. It's really it's really opened up things, and uh, we're hearing from developers all over the country. And uh, we're changing. We're going to change the country to make it more walkable. And this is the kind of housing that people want. And uh, it's challenging cities to look at themselves and say, you know, are you cul-de-sac ready? And we have uh, we have some 
uh, we have some ambitious growth plans and we're excited to share those, but not just yet. <laughs> so you worked with the city of Tempe. Was that, were they already kind of uh, ahead of the curve in terms of not having parking? Was that something that you approached them with as a new concept? And, and um, how did that relationship work? And, the, and how did that concept grow within that relationship? Yeah, one thing that's important to understand is it's not like there's one person. The city isn't just one entity. It's many different groups. And you've got groups within the city itself. You also have uh, within the neighborhood. Um, And so we wanted to really understand the different stakeholders and hear what was important to them. And uh, we we took all that into consideration and brought a plan that we thought could work. And that's, that's ultimately how it got done. And, you know, the there's innovative things. In, for example, with fire, where the central paseo can be used as a fire lane in an emergency, um, but normally it doesn't have to be a full street. It's it's for bikes and pedestrians. So there was engagement with fire department and public works and all of the different uh, city officials to uh, get on board with with this idea and allow this development project to to occur. Yeah, and it, there was a development agreement, and it was the first of its kind to allow us to allow us to build without residential parking. Um, we also had to uh, we also had to pass separate legislation around being able to get the light rail pass because before uh, it, the pass was used for, uh, for for companies to give benefits to their employees, and this was the first first to allow it to come from an apartment complex. But the city was the city was super cooperative. Tempe's been fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it. And that's really exciting that they're they're able to partner with you to be on the forefront of a project uh, that is the first of its kind. And I think it is ask it, it's posing the question to other major cities whether or not they are cul-de-sac ready and are able to uh, deliver on on car-free communities. And some cities are are thinking that way already and being proactive and many cities um, have have struggled to get past these conversations, especially those that are very car oriented. How has the reception been with the surrounding community? Can you talk about kind of what's going on within the context within like a mile of the project? Yeah, so there, so the immediate surrounds. There's lots of new construction um, from things that were vacant buildings and such, and that that's watching a new neighborhood emerge. Uh, and then the neighbors and you know outside of those as well, the biggest thing we hear is that they love the retail and they love coming by. We also do a weekly market called Little Choya on Thursday nights. We just had it last night um, and we get hundreds of people each time. Uh, there's residents of cul-de-sac and it's the time for everyone to come together, but it's also a time for neighbors. And we hear over and over that they like having that around. That's fantastic. So people who live in kind of the greater Tempe area are visiting this community and are able to attend public events. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Um, so I think I, I want to throw out kind of a wild card question. If there's one thing that you think people should really understand about this community, what would you like to share? Would like to share that the residents aren't, aren't you know, thinking that, oh, this is, this is car free. They're thinking that this is a great community and there's lots of great mobility options and there's uh, a great community experience, and there's lots of open space, and that's what they love. That's great. 
Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. And before we wrap up on this interview, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we share anything that has been been interesting us uh, these days, anything we've been reading, watching, listening to. Um, so with that, Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot. What uh, would you like to share with us today? Yeah, so I have, I'm have i big on e-bikes. I own lots of e-bikes and I love being an expert on them uh, and, and giving recommendations because that's a technology that's going to change the world. And it's fundamentally different from a bike. And um, I have a guide of some bikes that I recommend. We also have a great bike store at cul-de-sac. Um, one, that, one that I think is fantastic is the Electric XP. It's $1,000. And what's been really impressive is watching Electric iterate and each version of that bike has gotten significantly better while the price has been the same meanwhile inflation uh from the first version to now has been over 20 percent so uh that's a way of getting many more people onto biking yeah electric bikes are just a revolutionary uh way of moving around that i think has really come out of the pandemic in terms of how popular they are and relative to the cost of a car they are incredibly accessible and a thousand dollars even for a bike is is really not not too bad and you can really supplement it in in that region for for having a car so the thing that I would share, um, I actually recently went to uh, a place called Carlton Landing located in Oklahoma. Have you ever heard of this, Ryan? I haven't, I don't think. So it's another uh, community. It's a walkable community that was built by uh, Clay Chapman. And what they're doing in this community, it's more architectural. So they Clay is really leading the structural masonry revival movement in Oklahoma where they're taking- Oh, I have heard of this. I have, have you heard seen this? this? Yeah. So yeah. he has, uh, his organization is called Hope for Architecture. Um, he has a great Instagram account that you can follow. But um, I had the opportunity to meet with him and his team and stay there for a few days uh, to learn more about the project and tour around. I, I actually- also had the opportunity to lay brick and make mortar and learn how uh, structural masonry works, which is a lot more complicated than I anticipated. Uh, it's amazing what they're doing. There's some gorgeous buildings that they're constructing, um, not just within the community, but also in other parts of that region. Um, so that was really cool to see. Um, so that that's just part of a, a road trip that I went on recently where I also ran into some people from the National Town Builders Association in Arkansas. So a lot of people that are building these kinds of communities, which is fantastic. And and I uh, hope that you get a chance to come see Cul-de-Sac sometime. Yes. We also, have, we, have, we also have some short-term rentals for people to come check it out. That's really good to know. And um, we actually at Multi-Studio have, um, we have an office in, in Phoenix. So I'll have to send a send a group out to do a tour perfect well thanks so much for joining me ryan i really appreciate your time today um i am very much looking forward to to seeing this project in person the next time in i'm in the phoenix metro so i appreciate you giving us the time today thank you as well thanks everyone for listening to another episode of upzone let me show you what i'm about to do